0: Our text for the morning message is found in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, Having begun with the spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? Did you experience so many things in vain, if it really is in vain? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? My father tried to make a golfer out of me. But it takes so much time to play a game of golf, I sold my clubs when I went away from home. And uh, I remember that what happened was, every time we went to play, we'd get up on the first tee, and my father, to keep the ball online line, uses a three-wood to drive. And he chokes up, because he's short. And when you use a three-wood and choke up, you can't hit the ball very far. 100 yards, maybe, 150. I'd get up there and hold it way down on the end, it'd wail away, just... Whoosh, out driving 50 yards every time. We walk down off the tee. You know what he say every time? It's not how you drive, son. It's how you arrive. And he was absolutely right. And that's the point of Galatians 3, 1 to 5. And it's very relevant to us who have already driven in the Christian life and are now in the process of, Sklucking our seven irons all over the place. The main point of the passage can be found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 5. Now, I I take you over to chapter 5 because in 3, 1 to 5, it's all questions. And what Paul is doing is making the Galatians give the answers. If you want to know what Paul's answer is, you read it in Galatians 5, 5. Through the Spirit, by faith, we wait for the hope of righteousness. Every believer, every Christian has the confidence and hope that at the end of the age, when he stands before the judge of the universe, he will hear the verdict, righteous, And verse 5 says that the only way we are going to get to hear the verdict righteous is if we wait for it through the spirit, not the flesh, by faith, not works. That's the main point of Galatians 3 verses 1 to 5. Indeed, it's the main point of the whole book. So let's listen carefully and let the Lord teach us this morning from these five verses how to live through the Spirit by faith instead of through the flesh by works. This is not an issue that relates to icing on the cake of the Christian life. It's the cake. Paul said in Romans 8, 13. If you live by the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It's a matter of life and death. Whether we understand from these five verses how to live the Christian life. Paul said these Galatians were fools or foolish twice. Verse 1, oh foolish Galatians. Verse 3, you are or are you so foolish? The second phrase of verse 1 tells us a little bit about what he means by foolishness. Who has bewitched you? In other words, he's saying you're acting as though somebody's cast a spell on you. You're acting as though you've been hypnotized. You're acting as though you are mentally drunk. What's wrong? What's happened? And then in the rest of the text, he unfolds why he thinks their behavior is so foolish. And that's what we want to look at. There are two reasons given in this text why he calls them foolish for following behind the Judaizers and presuming to add works to their faith. The first reason is that in doing that, they contradict the work of Christ on the cross. And the second reason is that in doing that, they contradict the work of the spirit in their lives. So we want to look at those two reasons from this text. First of all, verse one, "O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified." It was incredible to Paul, incredible, that anybody could have seen the mural of Christ crucified, which he painted. The walls of those synagogues in Galatia and return from faith to legalism. He couldn't understand it. All he could do was blurt out foolish, bewitched, hypnotism. The death of Christ for our sin ought to show that we are so hopelessly lost we can't help save ourselves. That's the lesson he thought he had gotten across to them. Christ crucified means we can't add to his sufficiency. The stumbling block of the cross. Remember that phrase? The stumbling block of the cross. The thing that makes it so offensive to the world, indeed to many professing Christians, is that it means that in ourselves we are helpless and can't do anything to help save ourselves. We don't like to hear that. In chapter 5, verse 11, Paul said, If I preach circumcision, then the stumbling block of the cross has been removed. You see what that implies? That implies that if I think that such a little thing as circumcision, I can add Two, what Christ has achieved on the cross to help ingratiate me with God. I make the stumbling block of the cross vanish or to use the words of 21 verse uh, chapter two. I nullify the grace of God and make Christ who have died in vain. If we believe that such a little thing as that can be added, we are acting as though we're bewitched and we are acting foolish, and we don't understand the gospel. That's the first lesson they should have learned from the cross. But there's a positive lesson to learn from the cross. Not only is the cross the death knell to our pride, it's also the dawn of our hope. The fact that it took the Son of God's death, the fact that it took that much to get me saved, ought to show me I was in such bad shape that I can't bring any resources up out of me to make a contribution to that salvation. But the fact that it was the Son of God and no less who did lay down His life for me ought to make me completely confident that all that rottenness within has been covered so that God doesn't have to attend to it anymore and can treat me with complete mercy and love. The cross kills the old, independent, self-reliant, insubordinate me, and the cross quickens a new me, a me who relies only on Christ and does not look within for resources of virtue or value. Therefore, when those Galatians, or or we, start to turn back to that which they had torn down, build up again that ladder of law by which they are then going to demonstrate their moral sufficiency to climb into heaven, we make the cross of no effect and we act like fools and we are bewitched and we nullify the grace of God. Now that's the first reason why Paul says their action is foolish. It contradicts It goes against the work of Christ on the cross. Okay? Second reason. This is the one that fills the text. The one he seems to be most concerned about here. Doing that, reverting to legalism, to advance in the Christian life, contradicts the work of the Spirit in your life. Now, some of you asked me last week, To someday preach that sermon on Galatians 2.20. That I said I almost preached. Because we need so much help to understand the practical implications of. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. We need help to flesh that out. This is the sermon. Because Galatians 3, 2 through 4 is a commentary on that verse. And I think you'll see that if you do this. Just note a switch in terminology. In 2.20, the issue is Christ in me and me trusting Christ. Here, it's the Spirit working and me trusting Christ. The spirit. And we learn from Galatians 4, 6 that the spirit that God sends into the life of the believer is none other than the spirit of his son. So the spirit and the son are one. And to have the spirit within and to have Christ within is the same thing. So these verses are a commentary on Galatians 220, which says, I have died Christ is living in me. All right, now keep 220 in the back of your mind then as we talk about the meaning of 2 to 4 in chapter 3. He begins to show how their action contradicts the work of the Spirit in their lives by reminding them how they started in the Christian life. Verse 2, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith? And the answer is obvious by the hearing of faith. But if you stop and ponder that verse, at least three questions I think probably will come up in your mind. They came up in my mind and uh, I suspect in some of your minds. One, what is the relationship between becoming a Christian and receiving the spirit? Are they separate things or the same thing? Two. Two. What is the evidence that we can look to that we have the Holy Spirit? What in your life will verify to you that you've got him within? And three, how do you receive the Holy Spirit? Let me just address those three questions briefly. The answer to the first one, I think, is this. Becoming a Christian means receiving the Spirit. They are the same thing. Paul assumes in this verse that all Christians have received the Spirit. And Here's a key verse, Romans 8, 9. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Couldn't be any clearer, could it? If you do not have the Spirit, you do not belong to Jesus. If you do belong to Jesus, you must have the Spirit. So becoming Christ's means receiving the Spirit. That's why it's impossible to speak of Christianity merely in terms of new ideas or beliefs and new status before God. Justification. That's not enough. Because being a Christian means having Christ within Or the spirit, which are the same thing. The old self has died, 220 says. And in its place, the risen Christ has taken up residence and lives and reigns in your heart. If you are a Christian, then you were bought with a price at Calvary by Christ. And you were possessed by him. Second question. What is the evidence for The spirit in your life. There are three kinds of evidence that the New Testament gives to show you that you do or don't have the spirit. And each of the three is here in Galatians. And I'll move out in concentric circles. Verse five gives the first evidence. Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of law or by hearing with faith? One of the evidences that the Galatians could look to to verify that the spirit had come to them, had begun to work within them, was miracles in their midst. And the word miracles here, together with the word work, that phrase, that whole phrase demonstrates to me that it's the same kind of miracles Jesus worked. Because the closest analogies to those two phrases or those two words together are Matthew 14:2 where it talks about Jesus miracles and 1 Corinthians 12:6 where it talks about the gift of miracles. And therefore what was happening was probably healings were taking place. People bound in awful demonic oppression or terrible habits were being broken free through exorcisms, probably singular alterations of circumstance through answered prayer were happening and maybe others that I haven't thought of. God was at work in a mighty way in the Galatian churches to demonstrate the reality of the Holy Spirit. But one of the problems with using miracles to verify the presence of the Spirit is that miracles can be deceptive. In Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul says, Satan produces deceptive signs and wonders to draw away the elect. And therefore, we have to supplement that evidence with a deeper, more inner, more moral evidence. And the second one, then, that I would add is the assurance deeply felt in your heart that you are the child of God and that he is your father. Look at Galatians chapter 4 Verse six. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The evidence that you have the spirit is that you find yourself crying from the bottom of your heart, Abba, Father. Romans 8, 13, 15 puts it like this. You receive the spirit of sonship, when we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So the second evidence that you belong to Christ and are indwelt by the Spirit is whether or not you find welling up within you a great assurance that God is your father and that you are his child. But. There is a false assurance, just like a deceptive miracle. Did not Jesus say in Matthew 7, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not? And then list off all the things they did for God, thinking that they belonged to Christ. And he will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And so the third evidence must be added a changed life, a transformed life of love. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit, nothing is better evidence of a life of a tree than its fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The bottom line in the test of a life indwelt by the Spirit of God is whether that life is, is a life of Christ-like sacrificial love. Now, for most of us, it's the combination of these things that assures our hearts that we have the Spirit. Because sometimes one is stronger than the other, sometimes one is weaker than the other. And there are other evidences as well. These are the ones that I found in the book of Galatians. Now, the third question. How do you receive the Spirit? How do you get started in the Christian life? Verse 2 said, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? This is chapter 3, verse 2. Did you receive the Spirit by works of law or by hearing with faith? And you know the answer that he expects. By the hearing with faith. Paul is asking them, Galatians... Remember back a year or so when I came to your town and preached in the synagogue or in the street. Remember how I argued there and was preaching and I said that Jesus... Was the Christ and that he died on the cross as the son of God and that all of you are sinners and that the law could never take away your sin. But it was all covered when Jesus died and that he was buried and that he rose on the third day victorious, that he's coming again as judge. And that if you just trust in him alone, you can have forgiveness for everything that you couldn't get forgiveness from under the old legal regime. Remember that and remember how. It happened as you were sitting there. Hearing, faith happened. You didn't dream it up. You didn't work at it. You didn't strive. It just happened. You found yourself all of a sudden coming up out of your heart. Abba, Father, Jesus is Lord. And you were a believer. And everything changed. You did no works. You were worked upon. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It comes in. It slices away all the defenses and lays bare our need and God's provision. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ in the gospel is like lightning into a dark heart. And light spreads where once there was darkness. And belief happens when the light comes, you found yourself at that moment as helpless as a little child and yet absolutely secure in the love of Jesus proclaimed in the gospel. He had come to you in the word. The word had produced faith. The old self of rebellion just died. And in its place, Christ took up residence. Galatians, you didn't get the Spirit. You didn't become a Christian by works of law. It happened to you as you were listening to the gospel. It worked upon you and you were born anew unto faith. Paul puts it like this, not Paul, James puts it like this in James 1.18. Of his own will, he brought us forth. By the word of truth. So verse two is the first step in showing the Galatians why their return to legalism contradicts the work of the spirit in their lives. Now he makes the second crucial step in his demonstration of this folly in verse three. Paul tells them, okay, you know how you began. Now you must continue the same way you began. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now ending or being completed as a Christian in the flesh? The clear clear implication is it can't be done. It cannot be done. If you try to do it, you will make shipwreck of the Christian life. So, we Bethlehemites need to listen with all our attention to what they were doing here, lest we fall into the same trap. We must avoid it like the plague. Notice, first of all, the switch in terminology between uh, verse 2 and verse 3. Verse 2, there was a contrast between works of law And hearing with faith works and faith in verse three, the contrast is between beginning by the spirit and being completed by the flesh, spirit and flesh. Faith corresponds to spirit and works corresponds to flesh. Now, what is this flesh? We've talked about spirit. What in the world does he mean by trying to be completed in the flesh? It is not this stuff, this skin. It's not physical. Rather, what it is, is the old eye which cherishes independence and self-assertion. That's the flesh. Romans 8, 7 says, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Flesh, therefore, is the autonomous self, so in love with its presumed powers of self-determination that it does not, it cannot submit to God's absolute authority. But don't get the impression that flesh looks wicked, like sensual. To be sure, flesh in its irreligious form manifests its insubordination to God's authority through immorality, idolatry, envy, pride, drunkenness. And you know the list of the works of the flesh in Galatians five nineteen and 20. But the point in Galatians 3.3 3 is that there is a religious manifestation of the flesh. In its religious form, the subtlety of insubordination and self-determination manifests itself all over America. In many quarters of the Christian church manifests itself as a philosophy of Christian growth that says, yes, you begin the Christian life by faith, but then you get to work and bring it to completion. Consider verse 3 very, very carefully. It is not directed to those who are yet to start the Christian life. It's for me and you this morning. That verse is addressed to us who began the Christian life long ago. But who are now in mortal danger of trying to live the Christian life in a way that nullifies grace. Takes away the stumbling block of the cross. And banks on the flesh and leads to destruction. The point of the verse is, you must go on in the Christian life the same way you started it. Since we began in the Spirit, we must continue in reliance upon the Spirit. Here's the essence of the Galatian heresy. Now, if you've been thinking up until now in these messages on Galatians, if you've been thinking... Well, he's been talking about justification by works. And I'm already justified by faith. And therefore, this book doesn't have anything to do with me. You've misunderstood the whole thing. And this verse is written to bring you into the picture. The essence of the heresy in Galatia was that we begin the Christian life by faith and you grow in the Christian life By works. That is, you begin by relying on God and then after God has got you into the kingdom, you turn into yourself and plumb the resources of your own virtue and power to get on with sanctification. One modern form of the heresy is God helps those who help themselves. And if you buy into that as a way of advancing in the Christian life, then you put works where faith belongs. Faith is the only human response that makes room for the spirit to work in you and through you, a life of love. Flesh, on the other hand, is that insubordinate Self-determining ego, which in religious people responds to the Word of God, not with reliance upon the Holy Spirit for enablement, but on itself. And to be sure, you all know this, the flesh can produce a very rigorous morality. My own opinion is that the so-called Judeo-Christian ethic that is spread out for us to follow and cultivated without any concern for whether or not the people who are following it are dead to sin, alive to Jesus Christ, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, is precisely such a fleshly morality which makes the cross of no effect and nullifies the grace of God. And I will never get involved in pandering a Judeo-Christian ethic apart from the indwelling power of Jesus Christ, lest I be found guilty of the Galatian heresy. Now, I hope you can see that the essential mark of the Christian is not how far you've made it in sanctification, but on what are you relying in the process of sanctification? Are you striving for sanctification by works or are you striving for sanctification by faith? And yes, I, I'm, I, I mean to say sanctification, not justification. That's the issue of verse three. It is for us who are trying to make progress in the Christian life. Are you advancing in the life of love by the power of the spirit alone or are you trying to advance in the life of love by relying on the flesh? Let me close by describing for you practically as I can how I try day to day to live so that I can say it was not I, but Christ who lived in me. Galatians 2.20. I use an acronym. I made this up last night. Oh, yesterday sometime. Um, I've I've said this before from the pulpit, but I never put it in an acronym. The acronym is APTAT, A-P-T-A-T. If you want to take a note, just put it A-P-T-A-T, and then I'll tell you what goes beside them. What I do with this acronym is I use it to get out of bed in the morning because it's hard for me to get out of bed in the morning, especially to get out of bed and pray. I use it when I'm faced with a fork in the road when I know the moral thing is this and the other thing is desirable. I use this. All right, here's the way it goes. And I commend it to you as a way to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. A, I acknowledge that apart from Christ, I can do nothing. John 15, 5. I acknowledge with Paul in Romans 7:18 there is in me that is in my flesh no good thing. And I acknowledge that the old I who hates to make that confession is dead. P I pray. I pray with Paul in 1 Thessalonians 3:12 that Christ the Lord might make me love you people and all men My wife, children, make me love them as I ought to love, as the hymn writer says. I pray with Paul in Romans 5, 21, that grace might reign in my life through righteousness unto eternal life. Reign like a king. Master me. I pray with the writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews 13, 21, that God might work in me. That which is pleasing in his sight. A.P.T. I trust. The key issue in these verses is trust. Galatians 3.5. Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of faith, works of the law or by hearing with faith? You see the ongoing work of the spirit. Notice those present tenses. He keeps right on working this way. There is no other way to have the Spirit working within you than by the hearing of faith. So here's what I do very practically. After I have acknowledged my helplessness, prayed for enablement, I say, Lord, I trust a promise. And then I pick a promise. And I'll pick, for example, Isaiah 41.10, where God says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. And I say, I believe it. A P T A. And then I act. I act. But oh, what a world of difference between my act now and if I had not preceded it with those three steps. You know what the difference is? It's the difference between a work of the flesh and a fruit of the spirit. How do you, how does a tree bear fruit? How do you bear fruit? The only thing I know to say is acknowledge you can't. Pray that God will do it and trust him to do it and do it. And then a P T A T. Thank Him for everything good that comes. Give him the glory. Don't take it for yourself. Aptat, acknowledge your inability to do good on your own. Pray for divine enablement. Trust the promise of God to give you that very help and strength and guidance. A, act in obedience to the word of God. And T, when all is said and done, turn around and behold. Christ in you and thank him and glorify him. Now, I bet that there's somebody here saying, well, that makes too little of me and too much of God. And if anybody is saying that, my suggestion is that you test your testimony against that of Paul's. Listen to these Two testimonies, and with this I close. 1 Corinthians 15.10 I worked harder than any of those other apostles. Nevertheless, it was not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Romans 15.18 I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has worked through me, to bring about obedience to the Gentiles. Unless you follow that way of life, through the Spirit, not the flesh, by faith, not works, you will never be able to say Philippians 1.6.